0: Um, y'all must have been misbehaving in here because you're stuck with me again. They had me a week before Easter and today and in a few weeks on Mother's Day. So any complaints can go to the pastor or his wife. And I'm sure they'll take care of it immediately. As <clears throat> soon as I'm done watching Little House on the Prairie. That's my safe place. So I don't know about y'all, but have you ever gone through seasons of life with people, seasons of life where it seems like every day someone's in your way, someone's not cooperating, someone's getting on all of your nerves, up to and including your reserve nerve, in the traffic, in the store. I've been in that season for about 10 years. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. So I thought about the serenity prayer. Y'all remember the serenity prayer? Lord, grant me the serenity to accept. Okay, so I said, Lord, how about I have a revised version of the serenity prayer, prayer? And it goes something like this. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change direction when I see them coming, and the wisdom to not try to slap the crud out of them when I can't avoid them. I'll let you know if the Lord gets back to me on that prayer. It's marked unread in his inbox, but that has been my prayer a lot of times. Life is life, isn't it? And um, so we're here this morning as an extension of our Family Matters series. We talked about um, marriage and communication and all that, and um, you all were gracious in your response to it, and you all made me feel a whole lot better about the parenting one, even though I felt like I did horribly and I was rushed. And, but that's y'all's fault because I told you if I started looking rushed for y'all to do this, y'all just. Do... <laughs> so if it does that again today, I will not hesitate to blame every single one in this room. Um, but you all did make me feel better, so I'm always humbled by that. Um, as mentioned in previous the previous message, um, there's nothing that'll put a beaming, blinking, yelling spotlight on your own inadequacies as a parent than teaching on parenting. I'll have you put you all at ease that although I'm close to perfect in parenting, Brian's working on his part, I did yell at one of our children all the way to church this morning. And I'm not lying. And yes, you're outed, Samuel, if you ever watch this. He's an angel most of the times, but I think, oh, mom, you're speaking, let me pull out all my donkey and put it in front of you, so. Can I bother you, Robbie, for a um, napkin? I forgot I have a cough drop in my mouth. (laughs) I'm so sorry, I forgot, I don't want that to mess things up. Um, So anyway, I too am learning as a parent, even at the end of, of the parenting journey in some ways, Um, So just know, for those of you in this room who are not parents or who have already parented or who never had anything to do with being a parent, thank you so much. And that bottle of water. Thank you. Y'all, please excuse me. I've had some sinus throat stuff going on, and thank you, thank you. Um, Those of you who don't want to be a parent, there's still principles that we can believe in together, that apply to our everyday lives, especially as we are children of God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that your word gives us the truths that apply to all areas of life. And you, Lord, take it further and give us the Holy Spirit to help us live out those truths in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you that this morning that our hearts are open and we're ready to receive from you, Lord, And if there are any in here who are watching online who are discouraged in their current place of life, in marriage, in parenting, in other matters of life, Father, I pray that through the the truth of your word, Lord God, that they would find that you are pleased and that you're there to help and that they would be encouraged in you, Father. You don't condemn us. You offer your hand of help. And your grace and your mercy to see us through even when we feel as if we're failing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And in your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. So, we had talked about balance and boundaries and beliefs. If we're not going to review balance and boundaries. I did want to revisit beliefs a little bit just because I think they are very, very important for one reason and one reason only. The belief system of our churches, our homes, and our children is on a constant onslaught from the outside world, and it has infiltrated our homes, and it has infiltrated our churches. As I had mentioned last time, there are numerous influences on our children through media, and this today I'm going to include the actual number of users these sites have as far as social media sites. Facebook has 280. 2.89 billion users. Tumblr, 376 million. Instagram, 1 billion. YouTube, 2.3 billion. TikTok, 1 billion. Twitter, 353 million. Snapchat, 514 million. Pinterest, 454 million. We include and add to that video game systems, Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Disney+, Apple TV, Hollywood, mainstream media, music books, peers, school curriculums, advertising, and marketing. And there's about 10 of us that watch Little House in the Prairie. Everybody else has been inundated with influences that are godless. And think about the billions and billions or millions of users. And our children are exposed to that on a daily, almost hourly, if not less, basis. It's in front of them. I don't know if you've even noticed advertising just in regular television commercial advertising has now gone to a godless level that we would have never dreamed of seeing as few as 10 or 15 years. Commercials for prescription medications, it's just as godless it can be, and that's constantly streaming into our homes through screens. being Our children are being inundated mentally and emotionally on a basis every minute basis with outside influences. In times past, those influences for our older generations, I'm thankful that we didn't grow up with that stuff. We didn't have that constant influence in our lives. For example, you used to have to go seek out pornography. You don't have to seek it out anymore. It seeks our children out. It targets them specifically. We as parents, our children need us to be on high alert, high alert. I think of our dog Pinkerton. He's constantly on high alert. He's watching everything. If the wind blows the grass, blade. he was barking like crazy at the sprinkler last night until I said, that is the sprinkler. But he's sure that someone was tapping on the window because the water was hitting the window. He was on high alert. Every He's alert to every sound, every smell. Y'all have dogs like that in your home. They're on high alert. We need to be high alert concerning our children. One of the basis verses for all of this is a simple but familiar but powerful verse that we know in John 10.10. 10. I thought I had it, had it marked off. Save time and just um, say it from memory. John 10.10. 10. Most of us would know it. The thief comes only to do what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. What does he come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. What is the only thing he comes to do? Steal kill and destroy. What did Jesus say to that? I have come that they may have life and that they may have it in abundance and more abundantly. So remember that verse as we talk about stuff. All right, so as if I haven't already been, I'm gonna be a Debbie Downer for a little bit. Y'all hang with me. As Dr. Phil says, you can't fix a problem if you don't acknowledge there's a problem. So here we're gonna about to acknowledge as if we haven't already that there's a problem. So hang with me. This will turn a corner but here we go, we have some sto- sobering statistics. We are in the 11th year of an unprecedented mental health crisis in young people, just in young people. Adolescents aged 12 to 17 have the highest rate of depression at 14.4%. Young adults aged 18 to 25 are the second highest rate at 13.8%. We have some very sobering spiritual st- statistics. Two-thirds of young people are leaving the church by the time they're in their 20s. Generation Z, those born from 1999 to 2015, is the first post-Christian generation, according to a Barna study. They're post-Christian. They're the first post-Christian generation. Keep in mind, it takes one generation to lose a culture and a belief system. There's a whole group of Americans now called nuns, and I'm not talking about Sister Mary Catherine and Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm talking about nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is now a category. Nuns are those who have no religious beliefs. In their highest percentages in the 70s and 80s, nuns accounted for 4 to 6% of the population. In the 90s, it grew to 14%. In 2012, it had reached 20%. In 2016, 25%. Nuns are now the single largest religious group in America. Today's young adults are four times more likely to be a nun, not a nun, an N-O-N-E, than young adults of previous generations. The large majority, 64% of today's nuns, were raised in church but left it. I want to take a minute to recognize, if you all will recognize with me, the young families and the young people in this body of believers. Thank you. You are not common in your generation. You are a rarity in your generation. We're going to believe we turn that ship around. But we, the older generation, support you. We support you as parents. We support you as young couples. We support you as single individuals. Thank you for making God first, because a whole lot of the younger generation doesn't even believe there is a God. Thank you. America is becoming a less Christian nation every single day. Guess what? My generation is responsible. That's hard to think about. What happened? After much pondering and thinking and wondering and saying what happened? I discovered the answer. They have the cruddiest music ever. Have you ever turned on the radio? Oh, look, that song sounded just like the one before it. And the one before it was trash. And so we get another version of trash. Can I get an amen from the people with the 60s, 70s, and 80s music? Yes, yes. Yes. So, that, in a nutshell, that's it. Y'all's music stinks, right? <laughs> I even go back to big band. I love big band music. Elvis Presley, y'all just dropped the ball somewhere. So, I'm just kidding. It doesn't lie in their music, but um, Lizzo's not cutting it. You got to have some, some Dion Warwick. I don't know. <laughs> we got to have some Bee Gees or, um, yeah. Oh, y'all gonna start, Mrs. Stanley? How about some Black Sabbath? <laughs> Deaf Leopard, I don't know. So, no, it's, it's really not your music, um, although it is. What really happened is this. We rolled out the red carpet, so to speak, for godless influences to infiltrate our homes, our schools, and our churches. Secular humanism is the number one influence. A philosophy, a belief system, a life stance that embraces human reason, secular ethics, and philosophical naturalism while specifically rejecting religious dogma as the basis of morality and decision-making. Human beings, says secular humanism, are capable of being ethical and moral without a belief in a deity. Secondly, moral relativism is the view that moral judgments are true or false only relative to some particular standpoint, for instance, culture, and no standpoint is is uniquely privileged over any others. In other words, we get to decide what's moral. We get to decide what's right. It's up to us, it's up to culture. You can't call this good and you can't call that bad. We are guilty of not taking a stand for biblical truth. Public schools, most certainly colleges, are inundated, they are premised on secular humanism and moral relativism. That's at the basis of everything that they do and teach. God's word, the truth, has been attacked as outdated, untrue, full of error and fallacy. It has been deemed pliable and malleable in interpretation based on the intellectual whims of human beings. This has eroded our Judeo-Christian foundation. I have watched so many Christian homes have a young person come home with a newly found belief system, most of the time godless. And you know that I am... Sad to say that I've watched a lot of those homes reinterpret their own belief system in order to accommodate the new belief system of that child. That is wrong. That is wrong. We are to love and embrace and accept our children. We are to express that they are valuable to us, but we are not to allow them to come into our homes and determine what is biblical and what is not. We are to hold the standard of truth, hold the line. We have preached the gospel of grace but have left out one important component, which I'll talk about in a minute. We have preached the gospel of tolerance while forsaking Bible-based ethics. We should be patient, loving, compassionate, kind, and accepting, but tolerance must never triumph over truth. I'm going to say that one more time. Tolerance should never triumph over truth. Biblical truth is biblical truth. If we don't have a truth that's ultimate, then we have no truth. Robbie, would you bring me that little bag? Isn't Robbie the nicest little helper ever? And he's getting more and more handsome by the minute. Look, watch him walk away. Look, he got more handsome while he walked away. We have here jelly beans. Okay, so for years and years and years in kids' church, we did the jelly bean gospel for Easter because we have the Easter story that talks about Jesus died for our sins and he paid the price and his grace and his mercy and his love and he's the Lamb of God and all that is true. But I need to that what we have left out of our teachings is this. Okay, so this is the jelly bean gospel. Are you all with me? Then these are the old jelly beans. These were the original jelly beans. The ones that taste like crud but you still ate them because they had sugar. Okay, so in the jelly bean gospel, the white jelly bean was God. God had a perfect world. It was pure. It was clean. It was holy. No sin, no sickness, no disease. What happened with silly little Adam and Eve? Sin. Black. Okay? I don't know if y'all can see it. So sin entered God's holy world. Now we have a problem because sin separates sinful man from a holy God. So what did God do to fix that problem? What, can y'all guess what color is going to be next? Red, who was that? Give her a prize. Who was that? Red. What does the red represent? God solved the problem through the blood of Jesus to pay for the price of sin. When, and this is where we get all sunshiny and happy, because on Jesus, we have a Siamese twin jelly bean. We had Jesus rose on a Sunday morning, a bright Sunday morning, Jesus rose, and he gave us new life, green like in the springtime, new life. And then he took it a step further and he adopted us into his royal purple, his royal family. And they'll say, what do we do with orange and pink? Well, we say, orange, you glad that Jesus died for your sins and it should tickle you pink. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. So this is what we have done. We have taken the jelly bean gospel and we have said, look, look, Jesus did all that for your little precious soul. And we've taken this part and pretended it didn't exist. We can't call sin, sin. Everybody's a sinner. It's by grace we're saved. I agree. I agree 100%. I am the recipient, the chief recipient of mercy and grace. We have failed to tell our children that God is holy and he doesn't like sin. He loves you, but this comes between you and him. And we've left out the gospel of repentance. What was the message that John the Baptist spoke as Jesus was coming? What did he say to the people? What was one word? Anybody, and I'll give you a jelly bean. It was repent. Who was that? <laughs> I don't want your nasty jelly beans. Okay, well, I'll put them in there. John the Baptist spoke a, God, a message of repentance. Of repentance. What does the Bible tell us will set us free? Truth. truth. And you shall know the truth. And Jesus said specifically in John eight thirty one, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? Set you free. I'm going to pose a question Do our current generations seem free? Do they seem happy? Do they seem content? Do they seem whole? There are so many. Well, we talked about the statistics earlier, but so many of them are struggling. What will set us free? The truth. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, a famous Bible teacher, says this. If we raise our children without a foundation of full Biblical truth in an environment where man determines truth, we will lose them. And that is exactly what has happened. We have lost them. Romans 2 4 tells us that it's God's loving kindness and goodness that calls us to repentance. Why would he need to call us to repentance if we didn't need to repent? His goodness calls us to repentance. All right. We're going to turn the corner here. Everybody say, blessed. Who wants their children blessed? I do. And in a minute, in a few minutes, we're going to bless them. We're going to speak over them. God wants our children blessed. Where it's time for us, me included, because my generation is responsible for a lot of this mess. It's time for us to say, not on my watch. Not in my time. I will fight I will stand for truth. I will not water it down. I will not try to make it fit my sinful lifestyle. Truth is truth and freedom is found in the truth of God's word. We have to say not on my watch. We must win back our younger generations. We must be unapologetic in our commitment to truth. We would... We want them to, we have to live it in front of them. Here's the deal. We can preach at them all day, but if we don't live it, they're not going to follow it. It has to be genuine. It has to be authentic. It has to be real. We have to live it in order for them to want to follow it. If our children see us miserable and hateful and mean and and down all the time, they're not going to have any interest in our God because it's hypocrisy. So we have to live it. God has equipped us. I want you to rejoice in this. God has equipped us as parents, as grandparents, aunts, uncles, church leaders, teachers, friends, to live his truth and to be a blessing to our children. The other day I took Samuel. I was picking him up from the gym and he's all about muscly and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. And his protein and all that stuff. But I picked him up from the gym and he came out with a different demeanor than he had gone in. And it was noticeable. And he sat next to me and his head dropped. And he made a comment, and I, for, because I've so honored his privacy up to this point, I won't say what the comment is, but he said something that was negative about his own image and his identity. And his, to the extent of his head, was dropped. I wasn't on the freeway, so I was able to slam the vehicle into park and stopped. That's not happening on my watch. Something is not going to come and attack the mind of my child and their identity and their sense of self-worth and me sit by and say, well, you know, it's part of growing up. I slammed that vehicle in park and I talked to him and I listened to him and I told him, don't you ever forget that you are designed and created by a loving God and what any man or human being on this planet thinks of you or how they see you does not change who you are. You are His designed creation. We would stand between our children in an oncoming car, wouldn't we? We would stand between our children in a rabid dog, wouldn't we? We would stand between our children in a falling tree, wouldn't we? We would stand between our children in a schoolyard bully, wouldn't we? We need to stand between our children and the attack on their minds and on their emotions and on their belief system. And we need to treat it like the threat that it is. And we need to put a big old stop sign and say, you will go no further with my children. Our children will walk in the blessing when we show them the path of the blessing. We stand in their way. We have an identity crisis in our young people. Just watch anything and you can see it on full display. And they need to know that they are perfectly designed and loved by a God of all heaven and all earth. They need to know that they were made in His image and in His perfection and that He is for them. They need to know that the promise that Jesus made in 1010, that I have come that you might have abundant life, is true for them today in 2023. They need to know that though they have a punk enemy that is bent on their destruction, Jesus came to give them abundant life. We'll get more in a wad about someone cutting us off in traffic than we will about the attack on our children's minds and hearts and souls. And that doesn't need to be that way. Our energy needs to go the right direction. You want to know how your children can be blessed? Anybody? Oh, I love this psalm. Some would say, oh, that's old covenant. Sheesh. The Bible is the Bible, and it's all part of His covenant. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Psalm 1 starts with the very first song. How can our children be blessed? By this blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the un, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the counsel of the Lord in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night he shall be like a tree Think of our children. They shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth and fruit in its season, whose leaf all shall sound, not wither. And whatsoever they shall do shall prosper. First Psalms 1 through 3 tells us how our children can be blessed. They don't need us preaching at them. They need to see us trusting God with life. When God gets ugly, they need to see us pray. They need to see us practice the teachings of Jesus. They need to see us admit when we have sinned. They need to see us model repentance in our own lives. They need to see us serve others. They need to see us value others. They need to see us practicing gratitude. We need to be a living, breathing example of God to them. Guess what? We're positioned by God and responsible to God to bless our homes and our families. Everybody say Blessed. blessed. We want them blessed. Parents, now get this, y'all listen, are the priests of the home according to the Bible. Ephesians 4 instructs fathers to instruct and train their children in the admonition of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. Okay, so here we go. Ladies, you may not like this, but the father is the king of the home. And all the men said, Oh God. Thank you, Walt. How brave of you. (laughs) And all the women are the queens of the home. And some of you act like it. (laughs) I don't. The men are the kings. I know this is childhood. I teach children's church. The women are the queens. And listen, children, if you have children in this room, you are our royal subjects and subservience, And that's God's design. Isn't that wonderful? So you can go tell your children, you are my royal subservient bring me some more. No, I'm done. They'll look at you like, ah. in that structure, we have the authority and the position given us to by almighty God, the King of all the Kings to bless our children and to annihilate anything that stands in the way of their blessing. Annihilate it, squash it, kill it, Get ready. If, if you saw a cockroach going across your kitchen, what are y'all going to do? You're going to get your big old chonkless shoe and you're going to be hitting it, right? Well, we need to do that with what comes in our homes to attack our children. We need to speak a blessing over them. Pray for them while they play, while they sleep, while they study. When they're hurting, when they're confused, when they face a challenge, pray over them. Speak God's word over them. Dr. Erwin Lutzer says, it is vital that we bring our children and their hearts to Jesus. Bring our children and their hearts to Jesus. As a priest of our homes and families, we represent God to them. And we represent, as a priest over our homeless, and we represent God to them, and we present them to God. We present God to them, and we present them to God. That's our royal priestly position and duty for our children. We want them blessed we want them whole. So in the Bible, there's a man named Jairus, and he has a daughter. And this story is in Mark chapter. It's in different Gospels, but we're going to read it out of Mark. By the way, well, if you all want a foundational verse for the, mind, the, the, the destruction of the belief system, come to me later and I'll give it to you. It was a key verse that I forgot to read, read but we're, we're past that section. But Dr. Erwin Lutzer tells us we it's vital that we bring our children and their hearts to Jesus. So a man named Jairus did that. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers, he's a ruler of the synagogue, he himself is a priest, came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my, vo- my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and that she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and interrupted right here is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. For the next several verses, it talks about the woman who had the bleeding problem for 12 years and she made her way to Jesus and tugged at his garment and was healed so what is Jairus doing this whole time he has asked by the way I didn't preface you your children are be coming to you right now um, because in a few minutes we're going to say a prayer over them and we're going to speak a blessing over them and we're going to sing a final song over them called the blessing so that's why they're coming into the room right now so Jairus was waiting Jesus brings healing To the woman with the issue of blood, and Jairus, I'm sure, is left there standing like, hurry, Jesus, she's at the point of death. How would you feel if your child's at the point of death? And you've gone to get Jesus. While he was still speaking, and this is verse 35, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? She's dead. It's too late. Leave Jesus alone. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to Jairus, the ruler, do not be afraid, only believe. Jesus interrupted the bad news, didn't he? He immediately came and interrupted. Don't you imagine what Jairus felt? Your daughter's dead. Just leave Jesus alone. No need to bother him. Jesus heard that and he said, don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid with our children. No matter what the news is, they're going to be coming in. Aren't they cute? <clears throat> as soon as Jesus heard the word spoken, he said, don't be afraid, only believe. And he permitted, now listen to this. Now Jesus has gone. He's on his way to Jairus' house. Where is Jairus taking Jesus? To his who? Daughter. Where should we take our children? To Jesus, where should we take Jesus to our children? So he's taking him and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make you this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, she's only sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Who did they ridicule? Sound familiar? But when he had put them all outside, what did Jesus do to those who were ridiculing his truth? He put them outside. And he took the father and the mother and the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. Apparently she looked hungry. Max Lucado highlights this story by saying this. When Jesus brought, was brought into that home, when Jesus is brought into our homes, Let's put this in our our children. They may be spiritually sick. They may be emotionally sick. They may have special needs that we're struggling with. There may be all kinds of things going on in our homes that we may have in a marriage that's failing. We may have financial problems. We may have all kinds of chaos going on. Things stealing our peace. Things stealing our joy. Things attacking our minds. Things attacking us physically. All kinds of stuff. When Jesus is brought into our homes, he, did what, he does what he did in Jairus' home. He sent the people out who were nonsense, and he brought the people in who he knew stood on the truth. And he, what did he do? First of all, he took control. When we invite Jesus into our homes, he takes control. He cast out the voices of doubt and fear and unbelief. When we invite Jesus into our homes, he cast out the voices of fear, doubt, and unbelief. He came in as the protector, the good shepherd, and he purged out the darkness, the weeping and the wailing. He got rid of it because he was the protector of that family and that little girl. When we invite Jesus into our tomes, he brings in peace and hope and healing and purity and joy and wisdom and abundant life and everything else that's promised in his words. Will our parenting lives be perfect? They will not. Will our children have perfect lives? They will not. There are some in this room who have had wayward children. There are some in this room who may have lost children. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. The only thing that I can say is that we have the great hope of a great reunion one day. That we can't even imagine on this side of heaven. I can't imagine parenting children that have certain needs in them that are difficult. But what do we do with it all? We invite Jesus into our homes. We invite him in. You know, I'm made fun of lately because I have this obsession with marbles because marbles were one of my favorite things when I was a kid. I was good at winning marbles and I won a lot of them and we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico and I spent every recess at Matheson Park Elementary in the dirt playing marbles. Marbles was one of my deals. Throwing a tennis ball at the wall of a church was another thing I'd think for hours and I look back at those things fondly and they make fun of me, my children do, because I go to the antique malls all the time to see if I can find vintage marbles, and they're hard to find, by the way. So if any of y'all have any, just bring it me. And the other day, I was kind of like, you know what, Sheila, you are 50-something years old, and it's kind of silly for you to be always looking for marbles, because I have lost my marbles before. But I said, well, it is, but it's a fond memory of childhood. A few days later, in preparing for this message, brought, the Lord brought to my attention this marble thing. And he said, not audibly, it's, you know, I, I don't hear God audibly. It's just a quickening, a knowing, our awareness. And it was a deal that said, don't stop doing that. Because I want you to know something. That when you were in Matheson Park Elementary in that dirt playing marbles, my present was before you and behind you and beside you and all around you. And when you were riding your bike for hours on end pretending you were pippy long stockings, my presence was before you and behind you and beside you and all around you. And when you were throwing that tennis ball at the wall at the Methodist Church in Albuquerque, my presence was before you and behind you and beside you and all around you. I have kept you and I have loved you from the day you were born. He said, so when you think about those marbles, you know that from this age to now, I am with you, I am for you. I was playing marbles with you. So when you see your children playing God's with them. Tell them God's with them. Acknowledge it in your own heart and to them. When they're tearing up your house after you've spanked them, tell them God's with them. His presence is there. When you send them off to school, send them with a blessing and a prayer and you let them know God is with you. His presence is before you, it's behind you, it's beside you, it's all around you. If you have childhood memories, thank them back, and I want you to thank and ponder, God, you were with me then. You were standing beside me when I was fishing or hunting or playing marbles or making mud pies or whatever I was doing. You were with me. Children don't make mud pies anymore. They're on, Unless it's on an app. I want to get that mud pie app. <laughs> See how that works. He is with you. He's beside you. He's for you. He's with them. So will you stand with me with your children if you're able to, if if they're too wiggly or squirmy? You know that Abraham blessed, God blessed Abraham. Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob. And we're all blessed because of that blessing. We are going to bless our children. We're going to bless them in the name of the Lord. As they get ready, I'm going to read this prayer of blessing over our children. Afterwards, we're going to sing the song, The Blessing. And I want, we've sung this song many times in here. And as we sing it, I want you to remember to, that you're singing it over your children, your grandchildren, future grandchildren, nieces, nephews, other influences in your life. I want you to know that. So will you all listen to this prayer? We speak this over the children in this room and over their parents. Father, we receive, welcome, and acknowledge each of our children as a delightful blessing from you. We speak your blessing upon them and over them. Children, we bless you in the name of Jesus, proclaiming the blessing of God, the Redeemer upon you. May He give you wisdom and reverential fear of God and a heart of love. May He create in you a desire to attend to His words, a willing and an obedient heart that you may consent and submit to his sayings and walk in his ways. Children, may your eyes look straight ahead with purpose for the future. May your tongue be as the pen of a ready writer, writing mercy and kindness upon the tablets of your own heart. May you speak the truth in love. May your hand do the works of the Father. May your feet walk the paths which he has foreordained you. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are living in the truth. May the Lord prepare you and your future mate to love and honor one another. And may he grant to your union upright sons and daughters who will live in accordance with his word. May your source of livelihood be honorable and secure so that you will earn a living with your own hands. May you always worship God in spirit and in truth And I pray above all things that you may always prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In Jesus' name, we pray over our children.